as has already been expressed, and whether you're a member or whether you're visiting here with us this morning and you're our honored guest, we hope that something that we say or something that we do here today will be a source of strength and encouragement for you. Last week we began looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we began to consider what Paul has to say there about what he calls the most excellent way. That most excellent way is the way of love. And Paul says there in the first three verses that love is more important than any spiritual gift we might possess. Love is more important than knowledge. Love is more important than faith. Love is more important than generosity. Love is more important than anything we might ever accomplish for Christ, up to and including even being willing to give up our lives on His behalf. Because even if we had all of those things, but we didn't have love, if they weren't motivated, if they weren't actuated by love, they'd all be worthless, empty, vain, meaningless. In the next verse, Paul tells us that love is kind. That's what I want us to consider together for a few minutes this morning. Do you think we live in a kind world? Drive down I-10 or 59 in Houston. Or go try to get waited on in a crowded store. Or watch the way that people conduct themselves on reality television. Or how about just see the way that people treat complete strangers online? And then get back to me. Let me know what you think about this world. I read a story about a woman who was at a bus stop waiting on a bus, and she just cashed her tax refund check, so she had a lot more cash on her than normal, and she was somewhat self-conscious about that. She was apprehensive watching things around her. And she noticed a, a shabbily dressed man there not too far away and made her a little nervous. But then she noticed that someone else walked up to him, placed some money in his hand, and leaned over and whispered something in his ear and walked away. And that act of simple kindness convicted her. It touched her heart. So she reached in her purse and she took out $10 and she walked over to that man and placed it in his hand and she whispered in his ear, never despair, never despair. Well, the next day she was back at that bus stop and that very same man was there. And he walked up to her and he handed her $110. And she was perplexed. What in the world is, is this all about? And he said, you won, lady, never despair, paid out at 10 to 1. I'm not entirely sure if that story has a moral, <laughs> but I am convinced that acts of kindness, being kind, can pay dividends. Now, I can't promise it's going to pay 10 to 1 every time. And in fact, sometimes it may cost us dearly. It might even cost us everything that we have. But it's worth it if we want to live the most excellent way. And with that in mind, let's look at a couple of the clearest examples 
of kindness we find in Scripture this morning. They're found in Luke chapter 8. Much of this text was read a few moments ago. In this passage, we see Jesus demonstrating kindness to two different people. And when I say different, these are people who could not be more different from one another. One is a man, the other is a woman. One is rich and influential. He's the ruler of a synagogue. The other is an outcast. She's poor. She has nothing. She's on the margins of society. And yet, Jesus treats both of them with kindness, just the same. Now, by the time of this story, Jesus had already received a great deal of fame. Crowds followed him wherever he went because he was highly regarded as both a healer and as a teacher. And in fact, there were times when the crowds pressed so thick upon him that he had to try to hide, essentially. He'd have to go off in secret so that he could have some time alone with his disciples or some private time to be able to pray. But despite all of that, despite his busy ministry, despite the demands on his time, despite the crowds pressing in upon him, Jesus still found the time in kindness to stop everything and to respond to the needs of these two individuals who approached him in this passage. So I want us to look together at the way Jesus shows kindness in this story and see what insight we can gain for demonstrating kindness in our own lives. So first of all, we see that Jesus paid attention to their needs. Chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age. She was dying. We're not told where Jesus was going when this story began. Perhaps he was going to, to heal. Perhaps he was going to teach to the crowds. That was an important task. But I want you to notice the very next words that we find in this passage. As Jesus went. As soon as Jairus told him about his daughter, evidently Jesus dropped whatever he was doing and he turned around and he went with him. He followed in that direction to see to his needs. That little girl's situation was more pressing than anything else that he already had on his itinerary for that day. And I think that might prompt us to ask, how do we deal with interruptions? You know, some people are the type where they have to have complete and total concentration. They are 100% focused on the task at hand, and if you interrupt them, that's a real distraction. That's a nuisance. They can't deal with that. Maybe you're one of those people who doesn't handle interruptions well. But this reminds us here that sometimes those things we view as simple interruptions, those can be opportunities. Opportunities to minister if we'll take advantage of them. We need to be flexible enough to be able to change our plans and to be willing to go in the other direction if necessary. If we can't, we might miss some of these chances that God places in our way. Jesus paid attention to people. 
He paid attention to Jairus, he changed his plans, and he went in another direction. And then we see that Jairus wasn't the only interruption. Jesus was flexible enough and kind enough to meet another need as it interrupted him on his way. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she'd spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. There were crowds surrounding him. Everyone was pressing in upon him. You can uh, picture just sort of the mosh pit here. Everyone trying to get around Jesus. And yet he was able to differentiate the touch of this one woman who needed him from everybody else who was surrounding him there. We live in an increasingly impersonal society. A lot of you out there will remember when you went to a gas station and it was full service. Someone would come out to your car and they'd pump the gas and they'd wash your windshield and they'd check the oil. I actually even remember a place or two in Marshall when I was growing up that still did that. But now not only is it all self-service, you don't even have to interact with a human being if you don't want to. Stay there at the gas pump, put your card in, take it out, pump the gas, put it back, drive off on your merry way. The same thing is true at the bank. You don't have to go to the bank if you don't want to. You can even make a deposit at the ATM. You can even do it from your phone now, make mobile deposits. Or what about flying on airlines? You can buy your ticket online. You can check in online. You can even check your bags in advance online. When we're traveling somewhere, if I want to buy Starbucks coffee, I have an app on my phone, I buy it and I go in and I get it and I walk out without ever having to talk to anyone. You can do the same thing with groceries. You can order them in advance and just pull up and pick them up at the curb. On and on and on we could go with this. Our society has become so impersonal that we can start to view interaction with people as a nuisance, as an irritation. I don't want to be bothered by that. I just want to go on about my business. And that's unfortunate because we never see Jesus treating anyone that way. Jesus never saw anyone as a nuisance or a problem. He saw them as people, and he paid attention to them. He took the time to give this woman the attention she needed as if she were the only person there in that massive crowd. Secondly, Jesus expressed kindness by affirming her. In verse 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she'd touched him and how she'd been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Because of her disease, this woman is an outcast in society. 
She's treated like a, a pariah. She's treated like they treated lepers. For 12 years, she hasn't been accepted in society. Her family hasn't had any contact with her. And her self-esteem must have been about as low as it could possibly be. You, you notice here, even in this passage, she was intentionally trying to remain hidden. That's the reason that she'd secretly touched his garment like she did. So what does Jesus do? He affirms her. Jesus not only pays attention to her, he affirms her and that she is important and that she has value, first of all, by listening to her story of woe. I think we likely have a very condensed version of what transpired here. I mean, after all, this woman had 12 years of history to tell. And this is the first time that anybody has given her the time of day in a long, long time. So she probably went on at length telling everything that had happened to her. She just poured out her heart. And Jesus listened. Jesus focused on her. He gave her his undivided attention. He looked her in the face. He valued her. He heard her story. You a good listener? It's okay if you're thinking you're not, because I imagine most of us probably aren't. We say, how are you? What do we expect to hear in return? I'm fine. We do that dozens of times every Sunday morning, don't we? We greet people, shake their hands. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm fine. It's perfunctory. But now imagine that someone tells you how they really are doing. We don't like that, do we? We don't really want to hear how they're doing. I remember a, a lady in Marshall where I grew up, Mrs. Cooper. And if you asked her, how are you doing, Miss Cooper? She would say, well, my kidneys have been acting up and I got a doctor's appointment this week to see about it and on and on from there. And as a teenager, the lesson you learn from that is don't ever ask Miss Cooper how she's doing. And I recognize how we'd all feel that way, but that's not the lesson that really we ought to learn from that. Most of us don't really take the time to listen, do we? We're not really interested in others' lives when we ask them how they are. And when somebody starts to tell us how they're doing, well, they're breaking that social protocol. We didn't sign up for that. But so many people just need someone, sometime, to listen to them, to know that they're valued, to hear what they have to say, just to, to focus your attention upon them. And then Jesus affirms her not only by listening to her, but by what he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, what kind of affirmation must that have been? For a woman who is an outcast, a pariah, someone who is not welcome in society anymore, to now hear that your faith has healed you. You can go your way. You can go back to your family. You can go back to life. Jesus expressed kindness through affirmation. Third, and finally this morning, Jesus expressed kindness through what we'll call acceptance, for lack of a, a better way of putting it in shorthand. Starting in verse 49, 
While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Don't fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let's concentrate on those last few verses here. This miracle is Amazing. We praise God for it, rightly so. But after Jesus had healed this girl, he says to the parents, don't tell anyone what's happened. Some of the most disturbing words in the English language, four small, simple words. I told you so. We like saying those words. We relish being able to tell someone else that. But man, we we don't like to hear that, do we? We don't want someone else to tell us that. It's a different thing to say them than it is to listen to. Well, remember that those people outside the house, all of those mourners gathered there for this girl had mocked Jesus. When he said, she's not dead, she's only sleeping, They, they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. And if I had been in Jesus' situation, I know what I would have been tempted to do. Just as soon as I'd brought this girl back to life, I would have taken her by the hand and I would have walked her out in front of everybody else and we would have paraded up and down. And I would, <laughs> yeah, you see? Yeah, I told you. Uh-huh. You laughed at me? But Jesus doesn't do that. He was concerned about how they felt. He had no desire to get even here. He didn't try to get back. He didn't try to glorify himself. And so he simply says to the parents, don't tell them what's happened. He was kind. He didn't retaliate when people mocked him. Love is kind. Now that might not sound important. It might not sound impressive, but kindness is incredibly powerful. Powerful in a way that this world can't understand. We need to be kind to one another just as God has been kind to us in Jesus Christ. That's what God's grace is. Do you know that? That's what the word grace literally means. Kindness. God's kindness that he's demonstrated to us in Christ. That's love in action. And it has the power to turn the world upside down. I do think we should note, before we close, kindness is not weakness. That's another thing that the world doesn't understand, that kindness is indulgent. We treat it, if we're going to be kind to someone else, that we just need to to give in to them, to whatever they want. But kindness sometimes has to be tough. It doesn't seem kind to say to the alcoholic that you're going to need to suffer the pains of withdrawal. 
but really that's the most kind thing that you can do to him. It doesn't seem like kindness to say to the spoiled child, no, you can't have it. Sometimes that might need to be reinforced negatively with whatever your discipline method of choice is, but that's really the most kind thing you can do for that child. You see, there's tough kindness as well as tender kindness. Both of these are kindness. Both of them are necessary. And Paul doesn't tell us in 1 Corinthians 13 which one to use. You know, when do we need to be tough? When do we, we need to be tender? Paul just says, love is kind. But since we focused on the example of Christ this morning, I want you to recognize that Jesus demonstrated both of those kinds of kindness. We saw already in our text, he demonstrated tender kindness. But when he threw the money changers out of the temple, for turning the house of prayer into a den of thieves. He was being tough. When he told the Pharisees that they were like whitewashed tombs, that they were all clean and pretty on the outside, but on the inside they were full of dead men's bones. He was being tough. When he told people that they were walking around with a railroad tie through their head and they were trying to pick sawdust out of people's eyes. He was being tough. But would anyone say that he's being unkind in any of those situations? No. He was doing the most kind thing that he could. But there were other moments, like in our text, when Jesus demonstrated tender kindness. One day when he was walking and he spied an old tax collector up in a sycamore tree, he could have said, Zacchaeus, I know who you are. You're the scum of the earth. You've extorted money from everyone around this town, just about. He would have been right if he'd said that. But instead, he said, Zacchaeus, come down, make haste. I'm going to your house today. And as a result of that, Zacchaeus' life was changed forever because of that tender kindness that Jesus showed to him. There's tough kindness. There's tender kindness. Both of those are essential if we want truly to be kind. And if we want to live like Christ, then we'll want to be kind. If we want to live that most excellent way, we'll be kind. Jesus is calling this morning. He's calling the lost to be saved, and I want to urge you to respond to that kindness that God has demonstrated to you in Christ by sending Him to die for you. Put your faith in Him. Turn to God in repentance. Be buried in the waters of baptism. Have your sins washed away. Receive those great blessings that God has graciously, kindly offered to you as His children. He's also calling those of us who are Christians and who've strayed to return home. And if you need to repent this morning, you have that opportunity. He's calling all of us, no matter who we are, to be kind. And if you're subject to the Lord's invitation this morning, I would urge you to respond to the kindness of God in kind while we stand and while we sing.